Now, things were simpler uh, when you had to just change trains at Albury, a suitable moment for trans-state recalibration. Uh, but, but Melbourne versus Sydney, uh, it's a divide that goes beyond colonial rail gauges. Now, some of you might say uh, that this is a tired debate, an unresolvable contest, maybe even a false one. But perhaps, well, perhaps the idea of contest is the thing that's a little tired and well, immature, perhaps we should celebrate our differences. Uh, and, and they certainly exist. The question of Melbourne versus Sydney when it comes to the food scene specifically, well, I think it could be argued that it reveals a great deal about the two cities, about the evolution of, of geographic, social, cultural conditions. Uh, to help us get to the bottom of all of this, uh, we have Called in the entirely neutral, unbiased and fair, Besha Riddell, Chief <laughs> Restaurant Critic at The Age. Hello, Besha. Hello. What do you think of this 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 contest between these, these two great Australian cities of, of Melbourne and Sydney when it comes to food? What what distinguishes oh, look. them? I mean, it is it is a ridiculous debate, and and you know my top level answer is both are wonderful, and we and it's and it's good to have you know two such different places um, <laughs> that we can kind of be proud of. But uh, you know, recently this debate came up not through me, although I perpetuated it certainly. Um, you know, there there were government officials claiming that um, Sydney was better. So of course, you know, we had to. Well, that can't be let um, stand. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, um, and you know, they are very, very different places. And I, and I think that you're right that um, comparing them really in in some ways it shows the strengths um, and weaknesses of both places. But for me, being um, on the Melbourne side of things, I think it also gives us a chance to look at what we want to preserve about our dining scene, what we want mm. to support, and, and the things about Sydney that might work for Sydney, but I would prefer to not see takeover in Melbourne, you know. So, so that that's where I think the kind of celebratory aspect of it is fun and good, and I think um, just you know the the taking a step back um, and looking at what those differences are is 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 a perfectly reasonable exercise. Before we get to that in, in some specifics, I mean, you're I, I'm interested in how this contrasts in other places. Now, you've you've written food in New York, mm -hmm. New York and Los Angeles. Is there a similar you know, a there, sense of of difference in competition? I would say that the more relevant comparison would be Los Angeles and San Francisco. Um, they have had a, a more kind of decent rivalry over the years, partly because they're in the same state, although they're about the same distance as Melbourne and Sydney are from one another. <laughs> um, and people just wrote Los Angeles off really until about 10 years ago, like just didn't anything cultural outside of movies people just ignored LA and then all of a sudden it was kind of this thing and and San Francisco just dominated in terms of you know fancy restaurants and 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 how seriously people took them but um i i would say in the last 10 years los angeles's reputation has grown exponentially as it should have i think it's the best food city in america so yes those conversations um absolutely happen and 
you know, again, L.A. is very good at on the ground, everyday eating. Um, mm. New York is probably better at fancy restaurants. So it's it, it's one of those things where it's it depends on what matters to you. And I think that that's true of Melbourne and Sydney as well. I wonder, you know, how much the the description of those uh, the, those those food scenes counts into that conversation. I think in, in that Los Angeles example, the, the work of the uh, lamented Mr. Gold might have had something to do with the restoration of that city's reputation. Well, Jonathan was writing in LA for 30 years. And so, you know, I think he can be given all the credit for so much of what people understand about um, LA's food scene. But something definitely changed, I would say, um, you know, more recently than 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 his influence. Um, and there are a few things that I think contributed to that. One of which is that I showed up there. I'm not going to take very much credit for it, but I was an outsider. I was not somebody, when I was writing in LA, I was not somebody who grew up there, cared about it, knew anything about it, didn't even like the city when I got there. But I, but I, I think having that outsider perspective helped. But also there was a number of um, kind of prominent national critics at that time that also really uh, discovered LA in a way that was important. One of them being Bill Addison, who was the national critic for Eater at the time and now is the critic at the um, LA Times. So I think there Mm. was a number of people outside of Jonathan who, you know, got there and, and really, you know, realized what everyone had been missing for so long. Let's, let's get to our specific example, the Melbourne Sydney thing. And I guess I mean, food is a representation of a broader sense of place, is it not? Absolutely. And you would hope that. I mean, that was my main argument, not to jump ahead. <laughs> but I, I think that the thing that Melbourne has in spades that Sydney really lacks is a very well-defined sense of place. Why does Sydney lack that, I wonder? Um, I think that it it has to do with a number of things. One of which is just Melbourne has a much stronger, more historical, long-term tradition of um, small owner-operated restaurants. Mm -hmm. Sydney is much better at the big glam group-owned restaurants. If you think about most of the restaurants that are well-known in Sydney, you know, I I remember when I was writing for the New York Times and I discovered um, Josh Nyland's restaurant, St. Peter, it was the first time that I realized, oh, this is interesting because it's just a small storefront restaurant owned by a chef. That is not the norm in Sydney. And it, and it very much is in Melbourne. Even, um, you know, you think about Grassi or somebody who, you know, has a number of venues, you still feel like if you go to Grassi, it feels like mm. Grassi, you know, it feels like this, this guy and the way that he does things in a storefront on the street. You Andrew know? McConnell um, likewise, I guess, in Melbourne. Yes, absolutely. So I would say that that is a really big reason why. And if you get those big group-owned restaurants, and this is true of some Melbourne restaurants, this is true of Australian operators, but a lot of times they're looking to say, we're opening a New York-style steakhouse, you know, (laughs) when we're opening, um, you know, a brasserie, a a Parisian-style brasserie, um, which is fine, and those places can be fantastic. And some of my favorite restaurants in Sydney are almost like kind of this hipster Disney Epcot kind of thing, where it's like, (laughs) you're, you're so transported to somewhere else that it can be really, really fun. But it doesn't say much about Sydney. And if you think about iconic Sydney dining experiences, often 
the 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 thing that makes them iconic is the view of Sydney, not mm. what is inside the restaurant. You are looking out at Bondi Beach from icebergs. You are looking out over the Sydney Opera House from Key. Um, you aren't, you know, if all the walls around you closed in, you could not probably identify where you were if you didn't know what restaurant that was. And I would say that if you know Melbourne, that is not true. If you were sealed into Gerald's Bar you would probably know you're in Melbourne. Feels very much like Melbourne. You know, Melbourne has a very defined sense of place in its dining. And that's one of the things that I just adore about it. Well, you, you've written that, that I quote you here, spend two days eating in Melbourne and you'll know the culinary personality of this city inherently. Yeah. And I, I, I love that about this city. And of course, we do have our big flash places that could be anywhere. And I caught some flack from, you know, some readers for, you know, not name dropping uh, just a bunch of our important restaurants. But but my point wasn't that, you know, we have a lot of good restaurants. Both cities have a lot of good restaurants. My mm. point was that the kind of day to day mid-priced, you know, wine bar, cafe type of eating here um, is very good. It's world-class and it feels like Melbourne. It feels, you know, you, you can really not find yourself, you know, sitting out of, you know, at the front of, um, you know, City Wine Bar or somewhere like that and and not feel like you are inherently in Melbourne, well, you know. And, and there's, um, a, there's a closeness and a smallness and a, a, a sense of the interior life too, which is a part of this place. And, and, and that's represented yeah. in those sorts of spaces. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, once you start getting to the the kind of grander, you know, one of the arguments that um, Callan Boys, our Sydney critic, made was that, you know, Sydney has more three-headed restaurants than Melbourne. If that's what you care about, then, you know, sure, we've moved to Sydney. I also would say that <laughs> maybe <laughs> it's because I'm a tougher critic than he is. Who knows? <laughs> but I don't, I don't know that for sure. Um, but I just feel like for, for living in a city – what really matters to you? The number of three-headed restaurants. How often are you going to partake in, in that? Those, in, yes. You know, it might be once a year if you're lucky. Um, I care so much more about the fact that I can wander outside my door and within, you know, four block radius, basically, there are seven fantastic wine bars that, you know, have that just amazing kind of Melbourne warmth radiating out of them. You could sit on the sidewalk, you could sit inside and look out over the street. We are a very wine-obsessed city. The, you know, we have that old European feel to us, but it isn't quite Europe. It's 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 Melbourne, it's Australia. And um, I just, I, I value that more than I value, you know, uh, uh, how many three-hat restaurants we have. You've mentioned a couple of times this, this sort of sense in Sydney of, of you could be anywhere. But see, I, I would say that that's, that's quite precisely what Sydney aims to be. You know, Sydney, Sydney wants to be a city of the world. Sydney wants to separate itself, not from its geography, because that's important, but from its it, its broader sense of place, just to be part of some global thing of, of fabulousness and money. <laughs> I agree with that, although I think it's a mistake. I mean, I, I you, there is really not – I can't think of another world-class city – where that is the aim. You know, you think about New York, 
you know that you're in New York. You think about Paris, London. Those places have very well-defined senses of place. Mm. Do we really want to be Las Vegas? I mean, you know, even in Las Vegas, you know you're in Las Vegas. And it, it, Surely it's, it's a post-colonial because, insecurity. It, it's the youth of yes. these places. Absolutely. I think that that's absolutely true. And I've experienced it in other cities. Um, Most interestingly, Atlanta, when I moved, I moved to Atlanta in um, 2007. And it was trying to be maybe Miami without the beaches or maybe Las Vegas without the casinos, you know, when really Atlanta is the capital of the South. It is not on the coast. Um, And it was only while I was there and since then that it really leaned into the fact that it is like, you know, a new Southern city and, and the food has gotten more Southern and the venues have gotten more Southern. And as a result, it is a, it is a more world-class city because of it. And so I would say that all Australian cities, all of Australia ought to embrace our Australianness and kind of back off from that cultural cringe that has defined us, especially in our in our food, for a really long time. I think it's time to let go of that and be, you know, really robustly proud of the fact that we aren't New York, you know, and, and look at Sydney. It's one of the most gloriously beautiful cities anywhere in the world. It has so much of its own self to celebrate. I would love to see that reflected a little bit more in the restaurants there. Well, and there are restaurants that do that. Well, but, I was going to say, you know. what would that look like? I mean, how, how does that translate into bricks and mortar? Well, I think of the, well, I, I do think of St. Peter of Josh Nyland's restaurant, which, you know, is in a swank part of town. It's a, it's a, I, I guess that they have, have moved since I've eaten there, but really, really celebrating all of the iterations of incredible seafood that Australia has um, and that Sydney has. And, you know, he's kind of a world leader in that way. I think of Lankan Filling Station, which is, you know, a Sri Lankan restaurant, but feels very bright and modern and colorful and Sydney and has great, you know, natural wine and all mm. kinds of things that you would not find at any other Sri Lankan restaurant anywhere really <laughs> in the world. You know, it, it, it's really remarkable. And I think that, you know, that that's true in Melbourne too, that like we succeed when we kind of allow the the immigrant chefs or the, or the you know, second generation chefs that we have um, here to express their own culture, but express it in an Australian way. I think is really, really exciting. And, you know, the one place that Sydney just hands down does beat us is in in kind of the amazing breadth of, you know, Thai food in the in the suburbs there that uh, it's just it's completely own thing. And we're starting to see some of that here, but it's not as robust or as obsessed over by the people outside of those communities as it is in Sydney. And I mean, what, what you say there about, especially the second generation chef of a varying background in this place. I mean, this is a conversation perhaps in, in greater depth for another time, but that is a tremendously exciting possibility in this country's almost specifically. Absolutely. I, you see it a bit in America, but I think that there's the only, they're the only two real places that you can see such incredible diversity in such a you know, comparatively young nation and and you can see the things about the kind of colonial history, the, you know, the, the First Nations history and 
all of these amazing, you know, waves of immigration that we've had. So that melting pot thing all coming together. And I think that that's just, to me, that's the most exciting thing happening in Australian food by far. If we leave aside the the Sydney Melbourne thing for a moment, maybe this is the one thing that that Sydney and Melbourne uh, critics can agree on: the the, the grotesque injustice uh, of Australia's neglect in this year's Fifty Best Restaurant Awards. What's what's at play there? Is that another another result of geography? Um, it's always been a bit of, you know, a tyranny of distance stuff there. I think uh, COVID too, you know, it's a difficult thing to engineer these lists. You really can't. Um, it, it's basically a popularity contest, you know. Mm. So I looked at that list and I had a job a couple of years ago where I had to make my own list of 30 best restaurants in the world. And I traveled myself alone to do that. And I've eaten at a huge percentage of the places that are on that list. And to me, there's just no question that there are uh, restaurants in Australia and New Zealand that are better than than <laughs> what is some of the places on that list. You know, um, it's just a very difficult it's a it's a difficult and slow moving thing. I do think that body is trying to move people in a direction where they're not just naming the same places over and over again, where they're looking beyond just the extremely fancy French and Japanese restaurants that always end up at the top of the list. Um, I was glad to see uh, the restaurant that you know, made the number one this year. Um, I've eaten there, Central. It's fantastic in Peru. So, you know, they're trying, but it is really sad right now, especially because I just think that there are some restaurants here that are just so fantastic and absolutely deserve to be on that list. Well, maybe we should just keep them as our little secret just, just for now. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that works for them, unfortunately. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> I a point. think that we need the tourists to come throw their money at it as well. Fisher, thank you. As ever in our conversation, so many other things that we could possibly talk about as a result of the things that we've said, but we'll, we'll come back to some of them in the fullness of time. Thank you. No worries. Melbourne for life. Fisher Riddell, Chief Restaurant Critic at The Age. This is Blueprint, ABC RN. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.